Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, good evening. Let, my, let me add my welcome. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller. I'm one of the um, uh, staff ministers here. And uh, it isn't long to Christmas. I don't know how you're doing with your shopping. And if you're one of those people that excites or panics, uh, I read as you read in the paper, £47 billion spent in the UK on presents this Christmas. That's more than I earn in a year. <laughs> uh, peak spending was this Friday, uh, Friday lunchtime between 1 and 2. £27,000 per second was being withdrawn from cash points. Wow. Now, the average, I, it, I don't know how organized you are. Of course, Friday may have been a good day for the average man, by all, uh, by all accounts, this is in the papers as well. The average man spends less than an hour doing all of his Christmas shopping, <laughs> which sounds bad, but let me just reassure you as a man, the thought that goes into those <laughs> out year, all year, the planning goes into those things. It takes a lot of uh, effort. 
Now, I don't know uh, about your shopping, but my hero, certainly my shopping hero, but in fact, my new hero this Christmas is Jordan Cox. Did you read about him uh, this week? Uh, Jordan Cox, a 16-year-old from uh, Brentwood in Essex. Here he is, perhaps. There he is. He's my new hero from Brentwood in Essex, known by many, perhaps, as the home of Towie, the only way is Essex, known to many others as my hometown, <laughs> where, for, as a result of growing up there for 40 years of my life, I've endured much abuse of being an Essex man and all the associated negative connotations. But Jordan Cox is the new hero of Essex, to my mind. Did you read about him in the paper? So he spent uh, the last month, the month of December, collecting vouchers online, newspapers, magazines, went into his local Tesco's, and did a shop for £600, which cost him four pence. All on vouchers. Never again will you ignore them in the paper, will you? And uh, there was a, I mean, the full list is quite extraordinary. Extravagant, really, of what he managed to get for his uh, uh, £600, which he then gave all away. Gave all of it to, uh, to those with no food this Christmas, uh, shelters, homeless shelters, uh, those families on the poverty line. But he, it sounds like a Christmas song. He managed to accumulate, amongst other things, 40 black puddings, very Christmassy, uh, 200 packets of biscuits, 23 cheeses, 160 yogurts, 4 Gressing and Poussin, uh, 36 packets of falafel, 23 packets of mints, and a trolley load of Harry Bow. <laughs> uh, by all accounts, it took him an hour to get through the till, all those vouchers. At first, the other people in Tesco's were a bit irritated. Then after a while, this is quite fun. And uh, by all accounts, a little chant started going up. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. And they were hoping he got it for nothing. But sadly, a slight miscalculation, 4p, uh, was what it cost. Now, that's the sort of thing that the newspapers love because it's a good news story. And we love them at Christmas. It was great fun for the people there in Tesco's, if you weren't in a hurry. And for the recipients of the food, that's great. Many of them would have had very little. And now they get a poussin. <laughs> and hopefully one or two instructions. Doesn't need quite as long as the turkey, does it? But that's good news. That's a good news story at Christmas. We like those. Now, in the reading we just had, Luke chapter 2, maybe the best known of the readings where the angel appears to the shepherds, at the heart of it, their declaration is, Christmas is a time of joy, good news of great joy for all the people. And my question simply, for a few minutes this evening is, is that what Christmas is for you? Good news of great joy. Now, let me hazard, chance my arm a little bit. I would imagine for many, the response would be, I am looking forward to Christmas. I am looking forward to some time off and some catching up on sleep and a little bit of telly. But great joy? You haven't met my family. (laughs) Have you met my brother-in-law? No. Great joy might be setting the bar a little bit high. So I read again in the paper this week that, uh, according to the Times, over a quarter of Brits would prefer to skip Christmas altogether. It's just too stressful or sad. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Now, I take it amongst that quarter of the population who would suggest such a thing, some are just grumpy bar humbug scrooges and need to get a life and cheer up. But for others, as was prayed earlier, Christmas is hard, isn't it? For some, loneliness, a whole Christmas spent in hospital, not what was planned. 
for some loved ones, not there. In our family, we lost a young daughter a few weeks ago. And so it's very obvious on Christmas Day, she should not be there. There are presents that will never be unwrapped, that will stay in boxes, given away to others. And so for some, great joy. And yet the angels would insist to us, look, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what has happened this week, this month, regardless of threats to your work, anxieties over other issues, Christmas is meant to be good news of great joy for all people. So very briefly, I want to say, look, how can it be great joy, not just a few days off, great joy? How can it be great joy? And then very briefly, then we'll look at three different little responses. Why is it such good news then? And a little reading, uh, the reading that uh, we had in Luke chapter 2, it appears in the middle, then the uh, the angel appears. So uh, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Do you reckon? I would imagine one or two of expletives may have been ushered by their lips. Golly, that was exciting. Um, They were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, why? Verse 11, the answer, for, because, for today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. So on one level, it's very simple. Why, why would you have the most extraordinary joy at this Christmas time if you know that a saviour has been born? Does that work for you? Well, let me put it this way. I don't know if any of you read uh, of uh, Oliver Lawrence. Oliver Lawrence, three-year-old boy who had severe heart failure. And at the beginning of the year, February 2013, he was put on the uh, register for a heart transplant. Uh, as the year progressed, as the months went by, he got worse and worse and worse and deteriorated. It got to September, no potential donor found. Uh, and the doctors said to the, his parents in September... We'd be thrilled if he makes it to Christmas, but you need to know, if there's no donor, this will be his last. We want to prepare you for that. A few uh, weeks after that, tragically, another little girl died of a similar age, and her parents kindly said yes, yes to the heart transplant. Uh, the operation took place. Oliver received a new heart. Obviously, he has to, you know, for a period, he's in hospital. Body tries to reject it. But 12 weeks after the operation, at the beginning of December, he left. And he's at home this Christmas. Now, that's good news for the Lawrence family. His mum uh, was interviewed in the paper and uh, very sweetly put it this way. You can't buy someone the gift of life. You can't get it off the shelf, in a shop. You can't get it from the internet. And this year, a grieving family have given Oliver that gift, the gift of life. And this Christmas will be the best ever in our household. Now that we get. Why, why will there be great joy in the Lawrence household this Christmas? Well, because they thought their son would die, but he's been saved from death. I mean, you get that. There's a pretty big celebration going on when you thought you'd lose and the son is going to live. Now, 
in a somewhat similar fashion. The reason the angels were able that first Christmas to say a Savior's been born to you is because upon us, each and every one of us, is the sentence of death. That's what you and I face. I mean, as I stand here this evening and say, God has sent a Savior into the world. Instinctively, what might you think? Okay, the world needs saving from global warming, terrible recession, Simon Cowell, whatever your answer may be. I mean, I have all variety of answers. But the biblical answer is very clear. Why? It doesn't say it here, but we had it in our other reading. Joseph was told, call him Jesus, which means he will save his people from their, from their sin. Now, in the 21st century, we have a bit of an issue uh, with the word sin. What does it mean? Uh, in common parlance, sin is something which is a little bit naughty, but generally quite fun. Isn't it? That's kind of what we mean by sin. So a little while back, my sister was on a diet, and uh, she was allowed five sins a day. And if I remember rightly, a chocolate wafer is two sins, a bag of crisps is four sins, you can't have both, that puts you over the sinometer. But you're allowed five sins a day. In other words, you're allowed a few things which are a little bit naughty, but you'll enjoy them. And I guess in common parlance, that's all we think of as sin. It's a little bit naughty, probably shouldn't, but it won't do any harm to anyone. But it's not how God sees it. The reason he sent a saviour into the world was to save from sin. I guess there's a number number of ways you could define that, but one would just be, There is a selfishness in the heart of every human. A self-centeredness, a selfishness, which puts ourselves, prioritizes ourselves ahead of others, ahead of God. And what is that sin? Our self-absorption. You can see it very easily in children, uh, and it's quite funny in them sometimes. I was with a friend uh, a couple of few weeks ago, and uh, there he was there with his son, about three years old. Said to his son, "What do you think, Mummy would like for Christmas?" Son paused. A new Thomas the Tank Engine. (laughs) Really? Is that really what you think, Mummy would want? One with batteries that speaks. You know, it's really sort of going high tariff. Now, of course, in one sense, you'd expect that from a child. They just view everything from their worldview, and they, they just all sell about themselves. In an adult, it's less attractive when it comes out. And, of course, we're a bit more subtle. We can look around and think, yes, I know I'm selfish, but it's not that bad, because there's always someone worse than me. And that's how we play ourselves on side. Okay, I'm a bit bad, a bit self-absorbed, but there's someone worse than me, so I'm Okay. Everyone plays that game. Ronnie Biggs, great train robber, died in the middle of this week. And uh, I was reading some stuff he said not long before he died. He described himself as a bit of a lovable rogue. And that's how he liked to view himself. The fact that all those years ago he destroyed a couple of people's lives, they never recovered uh, those driving or involved in the train robbery. The fact that he nicked quite a lot of money, other people's money, and lived off it illegally. I'm a lovable rogue. You know, I do one or two things, but you know, you've got to love me really, haven't you? Well, a friend of mine uh, works in Brixton Prison. 
place. It's very interesting. There's a very obvious hierarchy in prison. Everyone looks down on someone else. So top of the tree, the armed robbers, because they tend to be organized crime lords. So they've got connections. Don't mess with them. You get into all sorts of trouble. So the, the armed robbers look down upon the drug dealers. The drug dealers look down upon the petty thieves. The petty thieves look down upon the murderers. They're unpleasant people. The murderers look down upon the rapists. They're terrible. The rapists look down upon the pedophiles. And the pedophiles, well, apparently they're just misunderstood. That's all they are. They've not done anything wrong, just misunderstood. It is very striking in that setting. Everyone looks down on someone else and says, all right, I've done one or two things that are a little bit wrong, but I'm not as bad as them. And so basically I'm okay. We can all play that game. And all of us do. We can always find someone who is worse than us. But that's not the point. God says the problem in this world is the selfishness in the hearts of every individual. Nelson Mandela has just uh, obviously recently been buried. And he was, for a time, of course, the saviour of South Africa. He prevented civil war breaking out between whites and blacks. An extraordinary man of forgiveness and reconciliation. The saviour of South Africa. Is it problem-free? Or is the crime rate there horrifically high? He can do something for a while, although now he's, he's retired and now dead. But the problem is there. The problem is the selfishness in human hearts. And that's what we need saving from. Now, you could, of course, sit there and think, well, that's all very well and good, but I don't particularly care, and I'm not even entirely sure I'm convinced. I'm still not convinced I'm that bad or that selfish, so go away and let me sing in a moment. You can, of course, go through the whole of your life saying, there's no God, and I don't care. In a similar sort of way, you could go through the whole of your life saying, there is no sun. There's no sun or stars like it, and I don't care. The thing is, if you deny the existence of the sun, you still receive its benefits. You still get light and life, and there is growth. But if you were cut off from the sun forever, somehow this planet uh, span out of its orbit, cut off from the sun forever, darkness, death, gloom is all there would be. So we can go through this life and say, oh, there's no God, it doesn't really matter, but you still receive the benefits of living in his world, of life and the pleasures that he's given. But to be cut off from him forever is darkness, gloom, death. That's what the Bible says. There there is going to be at some point a reckoning for our selfishness. It's described many ways in the Bible, but one would be death, eternal death, cut off from God forever. And that is why God has sent a saviour into the world, to save us from eternal death. Now, if you understand that, that you've been rescued, that it was pretty bleak, but the baby in the manger grew up to die for you and me, oh, that can bring you great joy. Sometimes people struggle to connect the two, don't they? There's, there's Christmas and there's Easter. You do see, I hope, that the one, the baby who was born in a wooden trough, grew up and died on a wooden cross. The one who entered the world to the song of angels exited to the sound of silence because he was cut off 
to pay for our selfishness so that we might have eternal joy. That's why this Savior was sent into the world to save us from our sin, selfishness, and eternal death, which is our destiny. See, you've got to understand, in one sense, the predicament, just like the Lawrences did. They're going to lose their son in order to understand the joy. It only works that way. So Christmas, good news of great joy because we can be rescued for eternity, eternal joy with God in heaven. Look, briefly then, three possible responses. There are many ways that people respond to hearing something like that. Here are three possible ones. Uh, The first is this, I don't believe it. It's not uncommon today. I don't believe it. Nice story. My friend is nice. You seem quite a nice man, Matt Fuller. And if it works for you, I'm very pleased. But it doesn't do anything for me. It's a nice story, but I don't believe it. Can I just point out to you, this is not meant to be a story. You see just uh, how the reading works. Uh, It begins, just uh, uh, this account that Luke gives, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should take place in the entire Roman world, dot, 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 on it goes. Notice how it doesn't begin, this account of the birth of Jesus. It doesn't begin, once upon a time there was an angel. It doesn't begin, in a hole lived a hobbit. It was a very nice hole. And I'm going to tell you a story. It doesn't begin a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now, all of those introductions are saying, sit back and enjoy in your chair this lovely story I'm going to tell you. It's a story. It's a nice story, but no more than that. It might be fun or it might not. Depends if you like those sort of things. This begins by saying, do you remember when Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor And Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, the overlap between those two, it's somewhere between 12 BC and 9 AD. This is history. You can pinpoint it. It's fact. Bethlehem, it's a place. It's real. It's not the Shire. You can go there. These are events of history that you need to engage with. Please don't do uh, what I slightly call, uh, forgive me for this, I sometimes call it my grandma's approach. Uh, my nan is no longer with us. Uh, but in her uh, last few days, or last few years rather, her, her engagement was limited. So whatever you told her, the response was pretty much the same. Nan, I've got a new job. That's nice, dear. Nan, we're going to have a baby. That's nice, dear. Nan, we're moving to London. That's nice, dear. Nan, I've been bitten by a vampire. I'm joining the ranks of the undead forever. That's nice, dear. It's everything the same. She just didn't really ever engage with it. And people can do that with these events of history, and yet the implications, of course, are enormous. Eternity rests on this. Can I encourage you, please think about these things. Don't just sit there and say, that's nice, dear. Let me encourage you, there's a, a day we'll put on in uh, January, middle of January, faith or fiction. Uh, lots have come to, uh, we run this event every so often. It's a brilliant event. Looking at some of the common objections people have to the Christian faith. Isn't the Bible a myth that science has exposed? Aren't all religions equally good or bad in uh, telling us what to do? Sort of common objections. Uh, let's 
one says didactic in this, there'll be some engagement, lots of engagement in the floor, round tables. Come along. Faith or fiction. But please don't simply say, I don't believe it, without ever considering. There's the first, I don't believe it. Second would be, I don't need it. I hear what you're saying, but I don't need forgiveness, and I don't want forgiveness. I'm all right. And some live that way. I don't know if you've uh, uh, come across George Burdick. George Burdick is the only man who's ever turned down a presidential pardon in the United States. You know, presidential pardons, normally the president gets to the end of their term and uh, dishes out a lot of pardons to uh, friends or people who are worthy, uh, you know, some slightly contentious. George Burdick said, no, I don't want a pardon. Why not? I don't admit that I've done anything wrong. Sorry, you'd rather languish in prison than go free? Yes. I've done nothing wrong. Now, what do you make of something like that? And yet that is the response a number would have to the Christian message. Okay, yes, you say, I'm guilty of selfishness and I will be cut off from God. All well and good. I've done nothing wrong. I would rather endure whatever God has got for me than accept that I need to be forgiven, need to be saved. I don't want to be overly blunt about it, but for George Burdick, the issue was simply one of pride. I don't want it to be this way. I really hope that wouldn't be the reason why you don't consider Jesus carefully. So look, I don't believe it. I don't need it. Uh, The third is just the shepherd's response. I don't believe it. I don't need it. You're still in the same predicament. The, the Savior who comes does nothing for you if you reject him. But the shepherds, let's look at their response briefly, then we're done. The shepherds, of course, very different. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, this has got to be abbreviated, isn't it? If, if Ron Weasley was one of the shepherds, what would he say? Crikey! And uh, Shaky said, I mean, this is pretty dramatic. I take it was a little more than that that was said. But the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Interesting. Let's go and see if it's true, which they do. So verse 16, they hurried off. They found Mary, Joseph, the baby lying in the manger. What did they do next? Verse 17, when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And so they told others. I take it then in the first century, just as now, many would have said, oh, look, if an angel appeared in the sky to me and then brought his mates over for a sing-song, I'd have a bit more interest in what was going on in the first century. But I'm afraid that's not how God does things. In the first century, many people just got a smelly shepherd telling them what had happened. You might want an angel, you just get a smelly shepherd. That's how it is sometimes. But the facts remain the same. So they go and they look. And verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which are just as they'd been told. So the shepherds went back home. They returned to their flocks and went back to their wives and back to their lives. But they were never the same again. They were transformed by what they heard 
and what they saw. And therefore, for them, Christmas was great joy. I don't know what you make of the uh, Christmas events, uh, the Christmas story. If you get it, if you understand why this is good news of great joy, because a saviour has come, then Christmas and this week is a time of fabulous joy. I don't know what's going on in your lives, but regardless of threat of redundancy, disease, sickness, death, loved ones gone, the knowledge that you've been rescued from eternal death for eternal joy brings a frivolity, brings a, a contentment to life now. And, of course, makes all the difference for where we spend eternity. So I don't know what you make of that. But let me encourage you, don't take the easy route. Oh, I don't believe it. Oh, I don't need it. Why not try embracing it? Or at least investigating it? Because the shepherds are transformed, and you could be too. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, thank you that as we've sung, you didn't leave the human race in their plight, but you sent a saviour. And we ask that we would understand more of that so that this Christmas would be one of great joy, a joy that would last from now into eternity. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.